Hello and welcome to this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. It's me, Lee Carlo, with Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. This week we are discussing the French film Anaïs in Love... Nope, crossed, we didn't do that, crossing that off. We're doing Triangle of Sadness, the Palme d'Or winner. No, we skipped that one too? Okay. Gangs of New York... Nope, Gangs of New York just didn't come out yet. We are doing All Quiet on the Western Front, the new film on Netflix adaptation of the book, the third adaptation, uh, starring nobody you've ha- ever heard of except for Daniel Bruhl. Uh, it is a two-and-a-half-hour German film. It is, like I said, based on the novel that came out right around World War One, which this movie is... Uh, uh, is about and I'm guessing it would be after World War One since it's about World War One. Just no, it came out. The book came. We we can do some half-ass internet research here. Um, but it came out ba- like right during the during the war, like yeah, right it was after. Based based on his experience in World War One. Um, he wasn't predicting World War. I. Well, it didn't come out before World War One. That's what I'm saying. You said around World War One. Just want to yeah. be clear here. <laughs> it's not before. It's going to predict the future. <laughs> Um, all right, we're going to get into it. We, uh, we we broke protocol a little bit last night, and um, some of our opinions may have been revealed a bit, so that actually may have made things a little bit more interesting. But, guys, before we get further into that, I want to talk a little bit about the adaptation of this movie. It's the third movie that has um, been produced from this book. There's a very famous 1930s movie, which... I'm guessing you guys probably saw in film school. Um, I don't think I have. Chapin? Nope. Really? So I I know I saw it. No, I don't remember any of it. Big film school movie. It was one of those, like, you know, you got to watch this to further your film education. Uh, And then in the 1970s, there was a TV movie um, that had kind of an interesting cast. Ernest Bjorgnine, Ian Holm, um, Donald Pleasance was in the movie. And now we have uh, Edward Berger's 2022 version. And this isn't the first time we've talked about a movie that's been adapted from a novel more than once. Obviously, first one that comes to mind most recently was Little Women. Um, and we all loved the Greta Gerwig adaptation. We talked about Jane Eyre way back when, and we actually had a, a similar conversation uh, to what I want to bring up, but I think it's certainly time to relitigate it um and then we also discussed both versions of the girl with the dragon tattoo adaptation um including david fincher's um adaptation starring rooney mara so my question for you guys is when you have a movie that has essentially been made before or a story that's been made before the novel has been adapted before 
what are you guys looking for? Whether you've seen the originals or not, what are you guys looking for in order for it to separate itself? Like, what justifies the filmmaker's choice to make this for you? Obviously, you can say a movie's a movie is a movie. Jeremy, try to avoid that because anybody can make any movie they want if they feel like they have a story to tell. But for you guys, what do you need a, a new adaptation to do in order to separate itself from the essentially the movie that's already been made? Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd like to see the filmmaker come at it, not tell the story necessarily, or not necessarily tell a different story, but co- come at it from maybe a different angle, try to show us something new, um, you know, especially with, with war films, and especially with war films like this, where uh, War is Hell is uh, a pretty popular genre of war films that we've seen. So what it, what is what is he saying here that we haven't seen before? Um, and I don't really have the answer to that right now. Maybe we can dive into it a little bit. But as far as what I'd want or what I'd be looking for, it's a different take on that war as hell. Why show us war as hell now? Um, you know, why make this movie today? Uh, um, that That would be my question. Uh, I think I'm a little more forgiving than that. Uh, I, I, they're not, there isn't as, there's certainly not as many movies, um, about world war one as there are about world war two. I mean, uh, I think that's why I was so excited about, um, 1917 was that it's not a war that we see a lot of. 1918, right? 1918? No, 1917. Okay. It was, it was number (laughs) two on your list, Jeremy. Yeah. The year is fine. I mean, it was all part of the same war. war. <laughs> um, and make sure you stay up on that mic there, Jeremy, because you're starting. Doesn't he sound a little bit like he's far away? I think it's also he's. he's... Uh, it is 1917, by the way, guys. I was right. Okay. So what? you guys are both wrong. Imagine are, that. Are you kidding? No, I'm looking right you, at it. You, you said, said 1918. Oh. Moron. Put, put that bike right here. Put that bike right here. We I have can't, this. I can't we, keep. Oh, we have this chair. We have this recorded too, so we can go back and listen yeah. to the tape on that. So it's it's not a war that there is that many movies about. I mean, it's certainly not as many as like say Vietnam, or at least that I can think of, or or World War Two certainly. Um, and it's a war that's it's an important war. Obviously, it was the first World War, but also. It represents this time, I think, and why I like this adaptation when of, of mechanized warfare. Like this is when, you know, you started t- transitioning to gas attacks and big artillery shells and all this like technology that, uh, you know, developed recently enough that it made this war so much different than any other wars. But does and, this does this movie show that like show that transition is the thing like do you see that with these guys or are you just I guess sort it's of, not so much it's not so much I think you do a little bit but it's not so much the transition that but I like seeing it represented on screen with a big budget like this like you can see what what that what that actually looks like you know we've seen it in a couple scenes in War Horse and obviously 1917 but the real like uh, you know. The, 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 the sort of representation of trench warfare and what it's like to, um, you know, be in an artillery and a gas attack. And I think that stuff is 
well depicted here and it gives you a sense of what it was like to be there in a way that I, I don't think 1917 did or any other World War uh, One film that I've seen. I mean, don't get me wrong. This movie was extremely effective. And I think this is where I'll sort of divert from Lee a little bit. I mean, I was glued to this film and I, I thought it did a great job putting you in the the character's um, sort of point of view. Uh, I was, you know, just, I was enthralled and I couldn't stop thinking about come and see during this whole thing about the concept of like this, the, uh, this young kid and just how war sort of tears him, tears him apart physically and mentally. And you, the difference in that human being from frame one to the last frame. But then I go back to the point I made earlier about like, yeah, it's been done, you know, like come and see was one of the biggest discoveries I've ever had on this podcast. And it was, it was done, you know, it was, it was done brilliantly in that. And it really can't be topped. Um, not that you can't try, but it, it seemed, it's, it seemed in 2022, it seems like a weird time to bring this novel back to life to me. Yeah, I don't know that the timing really makes any sense, nor do I really find it important. But in terms of differentiating itself, I think broadly something that this movie does interestingly is it tells the story of World War One from the perspective of the losers um, and German fighters. And it's sort of an... I, f I found that kind of interesting to watch and like it's an interesting thing to kind of force yourself to get behind these characters that you yeah, know especially the germans were that's what i mean they're like no i know but like historically of all, it, of all, of all people, the, the, yeah. yeah historically you know we right. know what they go on to do and we know what happens in world war ii i mean did you guys or maybe you knew it because you, you're both so brilliant and you know the years and stuff like that but what happened you, in world war ii no, did you guys end up googling like where Hitler was during World War One and what he his involvement? Yeah, or any yeah. yeah. Everybody already knows that, Jeremy. Which which you're gonna look up right now. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, keep talking. Yeah, I know yeah, where it was. Um, but he was he was, he was, a, he was blinded in a gas attack. Yeah, but he was like a carrier. Like he he had to like carry messages or something. Right, then. he was a um, yeah. yeah. But was, you know that he it, was a he was a carrier, guys. It gets you thinking of like sort of how we got from that point where you're very you're very sympathetic of these characters to you know the history uh as you know as you know it right but but hitler was in that same camp of the fucking nutcase with the with the mustache who orders Mussolini. the war after the armistice the guy at the end there oh. um you know the 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 Nazis are made up of people, or at least the, the people that help the Nazis get to power are made up of people like that who are, you know, believe in the, you know, Germany as this great superpower and a, a, a mighty honorable fighting force and, you know, wants to see these guys go on, go, go to certain death for absolutely no reason. I, I gotta be honest, like this movie, I, I, I get why it's not jumping out to both of you and you're like both filleting it. Um, but this movie just made me feel and comprehend something that I have not felt in a war movie in some time. 
And it's just that sense of fear and senseless death. And that's particularly notable in World War One. I. I mean, just like so many people died. And and they had these old tactics of like, let's charge at the enemy when they have machine guns, you know, like and they didn't they didn't know how to maneuver around things like that and and it was just this brutal war and i'd love to be the guy that like came up with being like how about instead of going straight at the machine guns we go this way instead and that right you've changed warfare right and and you know you've got this you know tanks and they're all but it's all like in its infancy so it's everything's like dirty and 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 kind of like half broken and not working very well and so it's just like it's so dangerous and it just made me feel just how like pointless some of this stuff is. And, you know, trench warfare, especially in world war one was like, it was, it was just particularly, you know, debilitating and, you know, uh, took all your spirits away. And, you know, you see these, these kids who are excited to go off to war, you know, like our main character joins, joins the war when he doesn't have to. And they, you know, he, he, he dies at the end. Right. So spoiler alert, (laughs) but I mean, the guy who wrote the book obviously survived. Um, and, and, but I don't know. I, I, this movie just made me feel that way in a way that I have not felt in a while. I, I, I admit that it's like, it's not, there's not like a real big standout performance or, um, it's, you know, it's not saving private Ryan or black Hawk down. Some of the recent movies we've talked about, but gosh, like I, just something about the, the battle scenes in this movie were just so well done. I mean, it, it did some of the same things 1917 did without all the showiness of that film. And I don't want to take this time to shit on, you know, 1917 anymore. We've done that. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. No, I mean, I agree with you, Chapin. I think that, like I said, this movie was very effective, um, and what was the? Do you guys know what the budget was? Like, how did looking for that? I can't find how it. did he get this much money to do? Like, I, I just wondering the pitch on it. Like, all you know that you know that book from whenever nineteen nineteen uh, that they've already made into a mo- couple movies. I want to do that again, uh, and I need a hundred and fifty million dollars. And somebody's like, Sh- and and it's going to be all in German. Sure, have at it. Um, but it was incredible, like the the realism, um, the scale was very very impressive in this movie, uh, and also the character portrayal. I liked how they did that. There was not there was very little like getting to know your character or any of that. It was a quick you know, hey, this will be fun, we're off to war. And then immediately just how terrible this is for the rest of it until he dies. Um, So there's a lot of things I liked about this movie. You know, I sort of said for dramatic purposes that this last night over our text chain that this movie sucked, which is not true. I, I think it's beautifully shot like the production design is incredible i really loved the score in this movie which i thought was a unique score but really effective yeah a little um, um a little uh annihilation i loved the i loved how this movie ended 
not just in his dying, but the timing of that. I also kind of loved little things throughout this movie with like in the very beginning with the soldiers uniforms that they basically pick up off the dead, stitch them back together and then give them to the next soldiers. Like I thought that was kind of like a quiet, interesting introduction into like how many people, you know, needlessly died in this. But my problem was that like, I just didn't connect to what was happening. Like, I felt like this was a broad overview look and I don't mean that in the sense that it was like we weren't in the trenches with these characters. I mean, like, it was like, here's characters, here's the scenario, watch what happens. And I just felt like there was no connection that I could make with these characters and their stories and their lives. And, like, every time they tried to, you know, have conversations with each other, I'm honestly, I got kind of bored with it. And so, to me, there just wasn't the emotional, personal connection to this movie which led me to kind of wonder what the point of it was, because as impressive as all of that stuff is, you guys both mentioned, we've seen this stuff before. So unless you're going to give me something to latch on to, why am I watching this two and a half hour German movie? You you didn't feel anything for the the relationship between um, Paul and what is it, Stanislaus? Um not really because those that's what that's what I mean. Like their their conversations and their scenes and like I just didn't find them entertaining like i i sort of just wanted to be back to like the trenches because i found that stuff kind of a little bit more exciting and more interesting and just like visceral and re- like again really well shot like not just like beautiful cinematography but like there's all these like close-ups of the mud and like chapin you kind of reference this stuff like that was cool and then you have them like running and stealing a goose and like i get where that plays in the story but i'm like okay, I don't care. I didn't care enough about these characters. I didn't know them well enough. You know, I, I'd i seen the excited boys ready to go to war and then are shocked when it turns out to be horrible in a number of different movies. And there wasn't enough there to separate itself. So I didn't see... It sounds like sort of a cheap argument, but I didn't see the point of this movie. I... I weirdly get both your arguments very much, and I see both sides of it. Um, I I wonder myself, like, why make this? What 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 were they trying to accomplish that hasn't already been accomplished? And then I see, sort of Chapin's argument, where it was just this super interesting, visceral uh, experience that took you back in time, especially if you're nerding out on the technology and where war, war was at that time and, mm, and what know, kind of tanks were those Chapin? and knowing all that stuff I, I, I mean I, there, I, there was never a point I mean there were some scenes that were just very gripping and engaging and there's um, you know especially when it was uh, when they you know had to battle up close with each other especially there's that one scene with him and um, was it a Frenchman? Frenchman yeah that he has to, he stabs several times and then, you know, tries to help right right after. Like that whole scene was just brutal to watch, but also very, very effective, which I kind of feel about the whole, the whole film. But I also wrestle with, you know, your point, Lee, of the, what did, what did I gain from this? What did the filmmakers gain? Why this movie at this point in time? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I will concede that. That I think the great war movies show us something we haven't seen before. And I will admit that I don't think... I mean, I think this movie gives you probably the most comprehensive look at what it was like to be a soldier in, in World War One, But it's not... You're right. It's not telling us anything new. Like, like you know, Black Hawk Down is kind of a great example of like, geez, like this is what fighting war in 1993 is like. And we are this overwhelming force and we have these amazing soldiers and all this technology, but really like it doesn't really matter. Like, and, and it's, it's sort of indicative of all the wars we fought since then. And, uh, you know, like it sort of doesn't really, you can have all the, all the guns and all the people and training you want, but, uh, drop you in a, in a foreign place where, you know, you don't understand anything about the culture or the place, then you, you're, and you're outnumbered by like, right. A gazillion. And and so I, 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 I will give you that. I mean, I don't think this movie is going to make a fixie list. Maybe I'll have to watch it again, but I mean, it might might make some technical awards. Sure. And I, it would have had it made the point you guys are talking <laughs> about. Might make some technical awards. We have one technical award in the Pixies. It's the one I'm thinking of. Um, <clears throat> so this brings me this question is like, because I I think like all three of us fo- found this movie well made and effective and interesting and sort of gut wrenching, but um you know, it, it ultimately sort of lacks something new. So moving forward, what, what is it you would like to see in, in war movies? Well, you've got to do, I mean, it's such an ubiquitous genre, you know, it's, 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 it's outlasted the Western it's, you know, this, this is a genre that is, that has like the war films have never been out of style since the first adaptation of this movie. You've got to show us something new but is it like more yeah. about the char- character development or story structure or plot? Like the, I don't this know. movie I, I, well, do, didn't really have a story structure or a plot or much of character development. It was just, which is kind of the point. It's like these the soldiers just went where they were told and did what they were told, whether the war was over or not. Um, well, I, I like, disagree with that. I think Kot, you, Kot or whatever his name is, you, you get, he's well developed and his, when he's killed at the end, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and uh, Paul as well. Um, I think Christopher Nolan kind of did something new. With, and I appreciate Dunkirk a whole lot more even now than I did when I first saw it. But the thing I appreciated the most is that he basically said, I want to make a war movie. How can I do this differently than it's been done before? And he, you know, obviously in maybe a way that only he can do it by manipulating time and giving us these different perspectives, he did something entirely new. Now, I don't think every war movie needs to do something that drastic, but I do think maybe the way to separate yourself is to, is having something new to say, having a, having a, not necessarily just a point of view on the war, but like, can it be a can it be an allegory for something else can like we can we find a way to you know look at our past and things that happened in these wars and relate it to you know what what is going on now or whatever it may be like this these are just ideas 
what I'm curious about kind of in this same vein, though, is that, you know, we're saying we liked a lot of what this movie did, but we don't understand, you know, why it was made, what it was trying to say, all that. But like, it seems like we don't always have that critique for every movie. Like, why, why is it important that this movie is, doesn't apply to the movies, a movie is a movie idea. Like, why does it need to justify its existence? Well, I think it does apply to that. I think that's kind of the point, but yeah. Because it, because it's to a certain extent, we've seen this all before. Like you've seen the young boys going off to war. I mean, I'd like you to name all the movies where you think it's done better, but you've I mean, seen the Deer that. Hunter came to mind immediately. Came to mind at the beginning of this movie when they're all laughing right. and having a good time. Yeah, and... Come and See too is another one I think. Right, um, and and so yeah, if you if you want to stand out, you've got to do something di- differently. You've got to you, and and you've got to well, say. I something. also I also think the the heaviness of the subject lends itself to the audience wanting to take. Uh, something out of it yeah. beyond just entertainment value. It's hard to sit through this movie and watch these humans suffer the way they did without trying to figure out what it's saying about humanity. It's like impossible to sit through this and just be like, well, that was a laugh. You know, like you have to try, you have to try to pull something from it. And what you kind of ultimately pull from it is like, War is hell, which is of course a a great lesson for all of us that we you know that humanity, to learn. <laughs> humanity never learns. But yeah. at the same time, war is hell is a pretty common trope in this genre. What did you guys look, think like, about? Go ahead, Jamin. Well, you look, look okay. Like look at a movie like Hurt Locker and a movie like uh, that's about the, the the most recent Iraq war. You look at a movie like Jarhead. That's about the Iraq war before. And it's about like Jarhead is about people being trained to kill and not being allowed to. And what happens when you put them in a situation like that where all they want to do and all they've been taught is to kill and they have no reason to. Right. Like that's a similar sort of theme as. A little bit like like Black Hawk Down. These like overtrained, like we're overqualified to fight wars, and and or, like, <clears throat> and then and the Hurt Locker, the guy's addicted to the, addicted to the rush. You know, he's he's so, you know, programmed to, and and so probably yeah, got to tra- live so close to death that like right he can't. traumatized that he can't escape it, and, and he becomes addicted to it, and how that impacts your personalities and. um well, here's a question. Do you think tone has something to do with it being innovative? And what made me think about that is um, Three Kings, you know? Yeah, there's the, another good example. The tone yeah. of that movie is is completely sort of different than something like All, All Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, both are, are sort of anti-war, both touch on the idea of like these people who are trained to do something that they never got to do. You know, it reminds me of that scene with Spike Jones where they they, you know, they shoot the guy, they shoot the guy and or before that Mark Wahlberg's like, "We're are we shooting today? Are we shooting today or what?" And they shoot, and then Spike Jones like, "Yeah, I knocked his head off," and it go clear. You know, like that's a different tone and a different way to look at a a war movie in a humorous sort of. That's 
that's Three Kings, uh, directed by the late David O. Russell. Is he done after? Uh, I, what's he's it? dead. I think he's dead. Right. <laughs> I'm assuming somebody just killed him. Well, he's not really dead. No. Just so but everyone's aware. His career might be. Um, I think that's another good example. Tone makes a big difference, and this this movie doesn't strike any kind of new tone. I mean, it has a tone for sure. Um, what did you guys think about the the only storyline at all, perhaps in this movie, the Daniel Brühl scenes? Um, he plays a general or somebody negotiating the terms for the end of World War One with the French. I found well, him he's too like a young. Politician. Or a politician or something, yeah. So what what did you guys think of those scenes? Because to me, they felt like, well, at least my thought process was there was too much of them for what for the purpose they served. All they were really doing was like juxtaposing all the carnage with these guys trying to get the war to end so the carnage can stop. Like, But then these but scenes were like 10 effective. minutes long. I think that was effective because it did sort of emphasize like the longer these guys are sitting there eating, drinking their tea and eating their croissants, the people are dying. And I think that part of it was effective. I agree. And it's always that like, I mean, again, it's like a hackneyed idea, but like these, like the men, the sort of rich men, powerful men are making decisions as, you know, young, poor boys are dying. And, uh, you know, they're, they're there like criticizing how fresh the croissants are when uh you know there's just guys who haven't eaten in weeks out in the field and um again not a new idea well done re- well represented but definitely not a new idea but that's the thing like like do you guys feel like this i don't know do you guys feel like I don't know. I, I don't feel I don't, like I, I don't feel. Know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't I have feelings feel, every single fr- day of my life. It's frustrating because the, I just. I just. This is just one of those examples where I think this movie was really well made and it was smartly made. It wasn't. It didn't show off. You know, it had a lot of innovative things in it, but it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, oh, here's a new take on how we're gonna shoot a battlefield. It was just done very effectively and very well. I just. I just. Those. Those battle scenes are just so well done. And the movie in general, I think, is just is really well done. But you're, but you guys, but Lee, what you said is right. Like it's just it doesn't do anything different. Do you it, do you think it, the it, filmmaker was partly just like, here's the story, don't fuck it up, don't maybe. try to don't try to a, add too much to it, just don't it, fuck it up. It's 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 know. still a great story. And and yeah. and again, like do you do you hold a movie accountable? Like like we said about a movie is a movie is a movie. Do you hold a movie accountable because? you know, another film has done this before or another film has done. I mean, this is the third adaptation of this book. I haven't seen the other two. So this was the first time for me, but even for someone who hasn't seen those other movies, this was a, this was familiar territory, but do you hold that against the movie? I mean, everything in this movie was well done. So, and, but it just, you do, you, unfortunately, and like almost, you don't even necessarily want to, and you don't even really need to, but you do hold it against it. And with, I, again, I don't remember much at all. I probably don't remember. I, there's a, oddly a frame that sticks in my head 
of the original 1930 All Quiet on the Western Front that I seem to remember for some reason. But, you know, talk about a movie that you guys don't even have to have seen it to know that did something new, right? Like, this is 1930, and it was a movie I mean, about trench warfare. Yeah, and think about how wild that is. for the time. <clears throat> it was made in 1930, so it was, what, 12 years after, after this World War One ended, yeah. ended. They made, That's wild. So you do compare a little bit, and, you know, you say, like, okay, well, they made this movie in an amazingly new and innovative way once upon a time fine that's okay you can still do it you can update it you can modernize it we have all like the cameras are better everything is better we can make it look so much better which it does but then i think about fincher's girl with the dragon tattoo and we were all just kind of like this is the same movie i've seen this before like it's in english (laughs) that's the biggest difference and that's frustrating and like you can't help but say why why did this happen? I I, I sh- should be able to hold this movie to its own standard, but I can't because it's not separating itself in any way. So on one hand, it's unfair to s- ignore the movie as a movie as a movie thing because Edward Berger took this script, took this story, shot the shit out of it, did a lot of really great things as a director, as a filmmaker, and certainly made a movie that's worth watching. But on the other hand, is it a movie worth recommending? Like, I know that's obviously a fine line, but like... <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm leading, uh, leaning a little bit more towards Chapin's side as far as just, I mean, I can't pretend I wasn't so actively engaged in this movie, in this story, in the way it told it and the filmmaking, I mean, that's what, you know, really what else is there? And I, I, I feel like it's a little unfair that that part of me is just like, well, you know, we've done this before. I've seen this before. What are we doing? But it was hard to, it was hard to ignore that part as well, but recommend recommending it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd recommend this film um, for sure. And I was just impressed at this, like, where did this movie come from? Like, really? Like, you know, it was never. It wasn't released yeah. in theaters here. Netflix must have spent. Did Netflix produce it, or did they yeah. just buy it afterwards? They must have spent Netflix a boatload of money on this movie, and for it to just kind of for it to be in German and and bit kind of become so inconsequential for the year. It seems crazy to me. Um, I'm actually just looking right now. So Netflix. Yeah, Netflix owns both dis- distributing on U.S. and worldwide. Um, obviously, it's you know produced by a bunch of uh, uh, three smaller production companies, but I think this was a Netflix property, um, and it like came, really came out of nowhere. Like I, I think I texted you guys about this movie existing maybe a month ago, right? And it got added to the spreadsheet. And it was never and here we are. It was never something we were sort of anticipating for the year. Yeah. Um, so a couple questions for you guys from the categories. Um, most cinematically satisfying moment. This is kind of a good movie for, you know, really, I, I keep calling it that, but it's the cinematic jerk off m- moment. Right. Do you guys have one here? I, I think it was the, uh, the tank attack scene. For me. <laughs> where you get where the guy gets crushed. 
Well, that, I mean, that's a, that's one moment, but that whole sequence where they are ambushed by the tanks and then retreat and then have to blow the tanks up. Yeah, I I would I would say it's it was that one on one fight, um, in that sort of crater between those two men. See, for me, now there's it's sort of repeated itself at the end. You have Cat get killed, and then you have Paul get killed, and they're both kind of doing the same thing with like the war is over, but you're you're getting killed and then especially with paul it's just like at the at the second the fighting stops he gets stabbed but and i think i think more with cat's death i found i find that so tragic like the war never really ends for these people like it's still dangerous and like all that i I find that that yeah very tragic and that capture that was but also a little frustrating right because we knew that like it set that up pretty clearly in that story when they, as soon as they went back to that farm, I knew it was going to happen. So I liked Paul's death more just in terms of how that played out. But cat, I'm going to sneeze. Um, cat had a backstory and like a family that we knew of. And like he, you know, he, he had a beautiful wife. He told us. So like, there was something like, what did we know about? You Paul? don't know if she was beautiful. Every, yeah. Everybody thinks their wife is beautiful. If they he, have to say yeah. That. But he said that, like, that's the point. I'm, um, he was like, couldn't wait to get back to that life. <laughs> She's a dog. <laughs> I got a really ugly wife at home. So I just found that tragic. Um, Jeremy, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know a lot of this was, built i'm sure but mm. um let's head over to the location corner yeah i mean i you know, they, what would it be like to work on this movie I, I think it would be great as a locations person you find a giant field that you're allowed to destroy and <laughs> you destroy it i mean basically it becomes more of a stage film than anything else other than maybe the uh i mean obviously there's like interiors uh fancy places um and in the farm but yeah this would be a great one to to work on it's mostly you know destroying a field jeremy have you ever worked on a movie where they shoot in like one location for months and months and months yeah it was my favorite movie to work on shutter island uh no no that wasn't one it was actually filmed in the same spot as shutter island but it was x-men new mutants (laughs) oh right that's right that was a great movie that was a. I got to it, see that. I got to see that location. Got an exclusive tour. So, yeah. Um, and what's that like when um, you sort of base camp is all at one place? I mean, what do you do all day with that? Like a job like that? Uh, yeah. He so always looks annoyed, so people think he's busy. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely easier for sure. But the problem with that place is like it. It was an all abandoned. So everywhere we went, it was like every building on this campus. We had to, you know, figure out the infrastructure between electricity and abatements and uh, making sure it's safe for the crew and moving the bathroom trailer everywhere, to be honest. Uh, But mostly it it, it was safety of uh, those buildings because they had asbestos and everything else. You could fall through certain parts and, oh, warn us if I'm going to fall through the floor. Shut up. Now, does Arya Stark shit in the same bathroom that you would shit in? Uh, yes, anymore. but only because only because I would follow her after. 
immediately. <laughs> After your shit or her shit? No, no. She would, and then I would hop and be like, "Oh, got it." And I say, "It's don't flush. It's it's broken." Then <laughs> you go in and say, "I mean," <laughs> and then I just sort of, sort of, "I'll fix it." Lock the door. And then I go, this is Arya Stark shit, as I lift it up into the air. So, uh... <laughs> he plays the Game of Thrones music on his phone. So like, yeah. Like war paint. Anya Taylor-Joy's in that movie too, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you do with her shits? No, she that was her... She had some irritable bowels. My BS. Yeah, you can't know how much you can do. What is, hap- what is happening to this podcast? <laughs> it, it devolved. I'm going to get us back on track a little. Uh, so I did some research, um, obviously, before the pod, not while Jeremy was talking about Aya shits. Um, the, po- the novel was published in uh, 1929. So yeah. well so after. Around, around World War II. <laughs> around World War I. <laughs> I, I um, like the round. It could still be before. <laughs> yeah, still could be. Um uh, so it was published. Interesting. It was published in a newspaper first, and then in book form later it must on. Have been one long newspaper. <laughs> Why is the yeah. newspaper 184 pages? And then there was a sequel called "The Road Back" that came out the following year. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's called World War Two. It's called "The Road Back." Both both books were banned and burned in Nazi Germany. Good thing so, we saved one. <laughs> saved one. Yeah. No, it's it's more. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, What do do they think they're going to like? I I get the like, okay, so you can't read it, but did they think they could wipe it from the planet? Now with the internet, you can't, you can burn as many books as you want. You just go, yeah. Just Google it. Yeah, the Nazis did not. They didn't plan for the internet. (laughs) They did not plan for the internet. Idiots. That's why they lost the fucking war. Yeah. (laughs) The, the, The US and the French and the Russians were all using the internet. <laughs> yeah, they were just tracking him on uh, Google Earth. All right, Chapin, you, you seem okay today, but you, you must be grumpy about something. Yeah, um, today I'm uh, I'm a little frustrated by COVID. Actually, um, uh, I had a COVID old, old thing. I had a COVID exposure on what year is it? On Friday, and now I have to like take a bunch of tests before a shoot tomorrow. And uh, Ridley's mom has. Uh, COVID, and so now but why I'm do you, caring for her. <clears throat> why do you, you just, just pretend you didn't get exposed? Well, uh, at this point, every, I feel like everybody, we're at, that everybody point. at my work knows that we were exposed. So, because uh, so uh, it pretend. was it was at work. So, uh, so when those are like real things. It's not as, the, this oh, category hoping, is not as fun when it's. Were you hoping for something else? <laughs> I like it when you're grumpy about like <laughs> my, irrational my, things. Irrational things, yeah. Um. Well, I, hold on. I okay. kind of feel like it's an irrational thing at this point, but go on. Oh, okay. Well, Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a little annoyed that I feel like that mic's not working as well as when you sent me the test. I think it is. Okay. Well, now it is when you're close to it, but you have we to test gotta it. We just got to get it set up. We got to get a, a pole for him to set it up. So no, I don't. Want, anytime, I don't have room anytime, for a no pole. Poles, I need. No I need. I need it like this. I can't have a pole. It needs to be like this. I just have to be not, closer. Not a pole that stands up. We'll get one that comes from the ceiling or attached from the wall. But why can't I just do this? When I move it, does it make a sound? Can I like? Yeah, now, can I do this? You're too close to it now. Well, you definitely—that's okay. definitely better than what the old mic. It when looks you good. That was. Looks good. Oh, it's um, hefty too, Jay. But this is a hefty mic. Yeah, good, 
Good. That's the that was the idea. Um, I, I think it'll sound. I think it'll sound good. Um, anything else you guys have been watching? Uh, not. I've been trying to. You know, I well. I guess that doesn't count. I saw Banshees, but we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, I'll be seeing that tomorrow. I obviously watched all the movies that we were supposed to pot about. Um, I'm a little annoyed by. I'm a little annoyed by this ongoing attitude of yours about that, Lee. Uh, sh- do we want to talk about that on air? <laughs> I mean, we're all we're all living our lives here. You know, we're all trying to survive in this yeah, difficult time, myself included. And when we say we're going to watch something and pot about it, I do it. But you watch everything anyway, so you might as well watch it. That's fine. But, uh, Lee, do you want to talk a little bit about Anus in Love? <laughs> uh, anus in Love was Anais in Love. Did either of you guys watch that? I did. Yes, no. I watched. What did it. you think of it, Jeremy? Uh, I thought it was. I'll um, oh, see now. I can't hear you. I thought it was. Well, I stopped oh. talking. I stopped talking because I was thinking, like you do sometimes. Uh, I uh, think I do that. Uh, yeah, you do long pauses when you're thinking. Like yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was very worst person in the world. For sure. I think it was like um, a B plus worst person in the world. I, I think that it was like good. a, I would say it was a B minus worst person in the world. Sure. But and yeah, it was like, and, and are all these women who are <sighs> adventure, adventurous in Europe, they have to look like exactly like this? So that's the other thing. She looked they like They like, look very much alike like and they're very much yeah. very sp- free-spirited, yeah. have the same sort of problems, but Worst Person in the World was just so good that this almost suffered from that. I agree, and because this doesn't have quite the, like, inventiveness uh, of Worst Person in the World, but I thought it was really well-structured screenplay. Um, I mean, I almost guarantee this was in production, like, while wor- Worst Person in the World came out, and they were probably like, fuff. <laughs> like how'd this one get this one, we're from france that one's just from from sweden i mean oh, just like norway from yeah. norway whatever so uh, i mean it was it was all right i i you know i enjoyed it but again i uh, the comparatives i mean yeah, we, maybe we should we should talk about how i mean i guess we did a little bit the comparatives are almost un, unfair to some movies you know like i compared you know all quiet in the western front to come and see which was yeah. again a revelation for me and then same with worst person in the world you know it's like uh, well that's not fair um on the topic of movies on the spreadsheet I, I kind of had an interesting revelation as i was going through everything um you know i watched triangle of sadness which i really want you guys to see that's directed by ruben ostland um and it won the palm d'Or at con that's that director's second palm d'Or winning movie previous movie the square also won the palm d'or and he is one of a handful of directors that have movies this year that are that have won the palm d'or um ruben osland has won twice uh there's a movie called broker which i saw the trailer for at the triangle sadness screening um that's directed by hirokazu karita uh he won the palm d'or for shoplifters paris 13th district which i also watched recently and you guys should check out that's directed by Jacques Odiard, who we know best for directing The Prophet, A Prophet, um, but he won the Palme d'Or for the movie Deepon. And then, you know, of course, Fincher, not Fincher, Soderbergh has a movie that came out this year, and and he won 
Palme d'Or. So a lot of directors that have won that award have movies out this year, which I think is interesting. And just, I think we talked about this um, last year when we were talking about um, Titan, that the Cannes Film Festival and the Palme d'Or, as prestigious as it is, doesn't always mean that it's a great movie that we're going to see and talk about and love. But I think more and more we're starting to see these movies come out of con and having some staying power. I mean, Titan we obviously loved, but Parasite and now Triangle of Sadness is playing in theaters everywhere. Um, I just think I'm, I'm wondering, obviously Blue is the Warmest Color is the most watched movie on Netflix. Um I imagine. I'm sure, at least uh, by nails. By, by you. <laughs> by, by me. <laughs> Why do they keep watching the same part over and over again? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just thought that was interesting to see all these directors with movies this year. Um, but none of those are next on the docket because Banshees of Inisherin is next. Yep. Which Jeremy's seen. I'm seeing tomorrow. Chapin, do you see it yet? Nope. nope. So we'll end up pushing that podcast 15 no. times. No. <laughs> well, also, no. can we just mention before you guys get an argument uh, that, that that was my most anticipated <laughs> movie of the year. You're right, yeah. So Now can we get in the argument? Yeah, now you go, go, go. <laughs> And did it live up, Jeremy? Well, we'll find out. Can't N- tell you that tune yet. in next week. Yeah, so tune in next week for our pod on the Banshees of Inisherin, directed by Mar- written and directed by Martin McDonough, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Definitely looking forward to that. Has a ninety on Metacritic. It's one of the highest reviewed uh, highest reviewed movies of the year so far. And. Uh, I think that's all we got, guys. You got anything else? Anything to add on um, All Quiet on the Western Front? Spreadsheet, 136 days until the Fixies in New Orleans. I just updated my... Uh, I, I checked some off. So Feels like a long time, but it's not. It's going to be right around the corner. It is yeah, right around the corner. Especially if you think about how many movies we have to see. I mean, I kind of like the extra time. I know we're having a little later, but it's just gonna it's gonna give us some freedom to make sure some of these movies that we can't get to are streaming. You know, it seems like every year we're always rushing to get to that last one. It just gives us a little bit more time. Yeah, I mean, we definitely. I mean, at least I, I shouldn't say we. Speaking for myself, I definitely do a uh, cram session of sorts uh, before uh, the well, fixies. It makes me stress out less about movies. I know that I'm not going to get to the theater for because we'll have some time hopefully uh the i mean i know you guys have seen it but i didn't watch the babylon trailer until uh the the for banshees that came up oh man no i think it looks great i can't wait really i it was yeah it's the best trailer uh that 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 before that movie that movie's three hours long so well okay I don't know what to say about that. Uh, Avatar and Babylon come out one week after the next, and they're both three hours long. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm gonna see Avatar. I we really are. We're gonna review it on the. It. We're gonna review it on the podcast. And really you gotta watch the. You gotta rewatch the original one too. I already did that. Look at Chapin. I did watch. I watched Ambulance and I watched The Gray Man. 
God, the Gray Man was bad. Oh. Gray Man was pretty bad. <laughs> also, so boring. Your boy Chris Evans is just such a bad actor. Uh, that's not my least, boy. I'm talking about Jeremy. Why is he my boy? Because I worked on a movie or show with him. Then you go to yeah. his department, and I think he talked about how he's not a good actor the whole time. <laughs> um, ambulance was was fine. It was a good time. Michael Bay. Uh, Gl- Glass Onion comes out Christmas, basically. Can I can, can I can I say some something? I, I I would hope that I think last year we. I think just because everybody's schedule so crazy, I, I do hope that we can try to like do real podcasts on these movies. I know that like sometimes we get to a point where it's almost like better to wait and see where everybody falls. But I, I did think it was really interesting that the film that won the fixie last year we had reviewed and all talked about. And then it was sort of surprising to see where it was on everybody's list. But I think like, it'd be great to do a podcast on, we're obviously doing Banshees, Tar, Fablemans, you know, the big ones that are out there. I hope we get all I, I agree. I mean, I think Jeremy brought it up that on the Fixies that worst person in the world might not have won best picture because we didn't pod about it. Like, we right. didn't have that chance to kind of litigate right. it. Which I think I think it would have. And it helps. Uh, had so we. I'm with you. I think as many as we can do, obviously we're not going to get to all of them up around their release dates, but... I think it's annoying that the killer has a runtime, but not a release date. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, it's really annoying. <laughs> um, all right. So tune in next week. Banshees of Nishirin. And uh, if you want to, I, I had this thought too. If you want to know what we're looking at when we're talking about the spreadsheet, if you want to have no, 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 some no, sort of access you can't, you can't, you can't to these movies to that. No, not the whole thing, but if you want to have some access to the movies that we have planned to see, then you need to email us at getyourfilmfixpodcast at gmail.com, and we will arrange for you to be able to keep track of the movies that we plan to see over the coming months. But you have to email us Did anybody at getyourfilmfixpodcast at gmail.com. Get back to you guys about um, an answer about where I was, the one other podcast I missed. Oh yeah, loads, loads of people did. Did they anybody get it right? Uh, no. So no prizes were distributed. What Jeremy revealed after the pod was that he didn't actually know. I, I didn't know. I just asked the question. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I stayed and listened to that part of it just to make sure you guys weren't talking any shit. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you forget that? Yeah. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast, Lee. Let's close it out, baby. All right. Email us. Gayfilmfixpodcast at gmail.com. I've been God. Lee Carlo, Chapin Hemingway, Jeremy Fisk, and you've been the best. <laughs> Simply the best. Better than all the rest. Better so than anyone. Thank <laughs> you.